Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts. Good to be with each of you. Thank you for coming and worshiping our Lord here at West Hill. My name is Pastor Aaron. I have the wonderful privilege of being the senior pastor here. And this morning I have the the great privilege of of bringing this text and unpacking it with you. So if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're actually going to cover a larger section um, today through chapter 22, and we're going to go through verse 29 of chapter 22. It's good to look out and good to see all of you here. Thanks for taking the effort and the energy that's needed to be here. And I pray, um, as I've been praying this week, that you would be encouraged, that uh, that your hearts would stay faithful to the Lord, and that as we gather, um, we have all kinds of different things going on throughout the week, and then we get to come together uh, as a family and uh, and to be able to pray together, to be able to worship and song together, and to be able to now open up God's Word and ask his spirit to work in us as we read and study it together. And so I'm excited to walk through this text with you. Uh, the next few weeks, there will be longer texts as we walk through them. Uh, I won't go in as detailed. Uh, I kind of view it as this. It's I view it as a historical narrative. So as Luke is writing to us, he's giving us a picture of what is happening. And as we view that, there are definitely key takeaways um, but I probably won't go as deep into certain words of the Greek and, and things as such. Um, there is still much application for us, but we're going to cover a larger section. And, and, and hopefully, again, as we walk out of here, as is my prayer many of Sundays, that we walk out of here changed and different. because Not because of me, not because of any of you, but we're different because we've met with the true and living God. And that's my prayer, and I hope that's your prayer too. So before we read the text here in Acts, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity you've given us to gather in this place and to honor you, to sing to you, to lift up our voices. Lord, what a privilege that is, and we, we thank you for that. And we thank you for each one that's here in person and on uh, watching at home or remote. Lord, we just pray your blessing upon us as we gather around your word, that you would use your word uh, to impact our minds and our hearts, that your spirit, we would give the right and the ability to move freely amongst us, Lord, that we would hold nothing back from you. Lord, you see it all anyway. You are totally sovereign. Um, you, you know all things. There's nothing that's hidden from you. And Lord, we just play games if we think that we can hide certain things from you. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't do that this morning, that we would give you every, every aspect, every avenue of our heart. And Lord, that you would take your word and your spirit and illuminate it. And so if there's any wicked way in us, it would be the same of what David prayed, that it would be our heart's intent, that you would remove it, that you would take it away. Lord, we are so confident in who you are, Lord, but we also realize who we are. We're sinners saved by your grace, 
And so we come confessing that we are sinners, asking that you will forgive us, that you would cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, and that today we would see an outpouring of your spirit. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Christ, our Messiah. Amen. Let's read together, if you would, Acts chapter 21, and uh, we'll, go th- we'll start at verse 17, and then we'll, we'll finish up in Acts 22, verse 29. It'll be up on the screen as well for you. It says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul... Let me, let me do this. Are we in the right spot? Verse 27 we're going to start at. Okay? I'm sorry. How many of you, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I think I'm at that point of bifocals. And it's really frustrating. And I don't realize it until each Sunday when I get up here. And I can't see you guys until I put on my glasses. And then I can see you and I see your smiles. And then when I go to the text, I need to take them off. And so I'm sorry about my transition here as I'm working through this. Please bear with me, all right? Uh, We're going to start in verse 27 of Acts 21. It says, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he has even brought Greeks into the temple, and he has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Socia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission... Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Silsia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, 
according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding them and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers. I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness to him, for him, to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash your sins, wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Upon this word, they listened to him. When they raised their voices and said, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said this to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen from birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Big text. Let's jump in. Good text. Um, what we see here is, as, as was 
told to Paul and prophesied to him in chapter 21 is now going to take place. And so as, uh, as was said, he was going to be bound. Um, James uh, gives James and the leaders of the, of the Jews there of the church in Jerusalem, give Paul some instructions. We saw that last week in verses 17 through 26. And as Paul is seeking to do those things, he's trying to show that he is still a devout Jew, but he is also a follower of Jesus, of the way. We see this mentioned here again. We're going to see it twice mentioned next week in our text. And so as Paul is still continuing to, to try to win both Jews and Gentiles, we see the, the foregone conclusion, really what was eminent and going to happen. The Jews had come, and, and some of them, it says, they were from Asia. They have come, and they have seen uh, that Paul is there. And so what they are doing is they are going to do what they've done in all the other cities that Paul has visited. He's, they're going to try to kill Paul. They're going to try to condemn him and what he is saying and this testimony that he's giving word of. Uh, what's interesting as we look here, so Paul is, is about completed from, it says the seven days were almost completed. Again, that's the, that was the plan that James the, and the other leaders, the elders of the church had come up with um, to demonstrate that Paul was not preaching against the law, um, but that he would purify himself, that he would take these other men and pay for their needs and the purification. And so all of this was happening, but we see here that Jews from Asia, verse 27, that the Jews from Asia had come, all right? And so they're there to worship God uh, in one of, the, one of these key times of worship. They, they saw him in the temple, and they start to stir up the whole crowd. And then it says, they laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against. Notice the words that Luke chooses. If you have children, you, you know these absolute terms can be flung very easily, right? All right. I won't go too much into scenarios, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. When your child or your teenager says, everybody is wearing these, or everybody hates me, or he did everything, you know. And so here, these uh, Jews from Asia are crying out, asking for the other Jews to come along and help them because there is an absolute that this man is teaching He's proclaiming something that is against, against the true law of Moses. And he's doing it to everyone, everywhere. Notice what they go on and say. They're not going to just accuse him of teaching against the law, but now they're going to teach him against something even greater, and that's defiling the temple. In defiling the temple, they say this, Moreover, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And so now they're accusing in this uh, out, out, uh, outside, um, actually it was inside of the Jews, at, or inside of the temple at this time, they're, they're 
rallying the Jews together and saying, hey, we think this man has even defiled the temple, which, again, what was the sentence of that? It was death. That was, it was death. Now, we won't hear any more of this because as they go out and to the, they leave the temple and they go out, out of the gates and the gates are closed behind them, there's nothing to prove this. This is an accusation that can't be proven. And so that's why you won't hear anything more about the defilement of the temple because there's not enough of them that can get their story straight to be able to truly accuse Paul of defiling the temple. It was an accusation that was harsh, though, and it was very real that the Greeks were not allowed to come in. But remember what we just saw before. What was Paul doing? Paul had taken the four other who were under the vow, and he had purified himself with them. So there's no basis for what their accusation is here. So they continue, and, and as, they, um, as they, they seize Paul, verse 30, it says, All the city was stirred up. The people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were seeking to kill him, again, let's be very clear on what these, what these people wanted to do to Paul. It wasn't to get him to uh, say something different. Their purpose was to kill him. It was that. It was, it's plain and simple in the wording that we see. And we'll see, we see it not only here, does Luke give this to us, but we see it in two other areas as they shout what they shout, the wording that they shout. So their, their desire is not to have Paul punished, but to have Paul killed. And so... It kind of takes us back again to what Paul had said in chapter 21 when he was told about this prophecy that was going to happen of him being bound. What did Paul say? I don't mind. I'm willing to be, to be persecuted. I'm willing to go through suffering. And I'm even willing to do what? To die. To die for Jesus, for the cause of Christ. And so we see that uh, um, as they take him out of the temple, there's a huge uproar. As those who were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune. All right, this is the man who's in charge of Jerusalem. He is the Roman, uh, the Roman man that we find out later on is uh, um, Claudius Lys Lysus, or Lysus in chapter 23, verse 26, because he writes a letter. And we have his name. And so we're able to understand who this cohort is or this tribune and who he's in charge of. Uh, he is kind of the mayor, the governor, the person in charge of, of Jerusalem here, of this city. And so he finds out that his city is going crazy. And so what he does is he, he goes down with a lot of his soldiers and they're going to find out what's going on. And so verse 33, it says, they, the tribune came up and arrested Paul. They ordered him to be bound with two chains. Uh, what this meant is they probably took Paul and uh, shackled him to two other soldiers. And so we see that in a little bit, how we get more clarification. I'll tell you that in a moment. But uh, Paul's not going anywhere. It says he inquired who he was and what he had done. And so the, the, the leader there, uh, Claudius, is trying to find out, okay, from the crowd, who is this guy? What did he do to you? Why is this riot happening? Well, he doesn't get much clarity, does he? 
says verse 34, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So since he couldn't figure out from the rest of the crowd what was going on, he said, I'm going to take Paul and we're going to go figure this out back at my place. All right. And so they head, they head there. It says in verse 35 that Luke actually gives us a little bit more detail of what's happening what the crowd really looked like. This was not a peaceful crowd. It says, and when they came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. And the mob of the people following were crying away with him. The terminology away with him is not just, hey, we want him thrown out of our city or out of our temple. What we find out again later on in chapter 22, uh, verse 22 is that they want this man to be gone from the earth, meaning they want him to die. And they're reaching and grabbing and pulling and tugging. They want him. And even with the cohort that's around him and the fact that Paul is shackled to them, they're, they're, they want to get at him. They've already been beating him. All right. The text tells us that they've been beating him. And uh, to the point where they wanted to kill him. And so the soldiers lift him up. They're going to carry him up the steps. So that way there's, there's no way that, that the rest of the crowd can get him. It says, verse 37, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And so this is the first time that we see Paul actually speaking, which I'll make reference to this later on. And Paul starts speaking, and, uh, and so uh, Claudius is, is caught off guard. He's like, wait, you, you know how to speak Greek? And uh, because, why? Who does Claudius think this is? Well, some of our writings, historical writings, help us in this case. And so Josephus has, has written um, about this, uh, this false messiah who was from Egypt who gathered uh, roughly 40,000 other people who had come in and, and wanted to destroy the temple and who failed at doing that. And in doing that, several thousands were killed, but he fled. And so this Egyptian fled away and there were rumors that he was gathering another army to come. And so Claudius thinks that he's, he's caught this man. And, and, and this is big. This is big time because the man who Claudius reports to uh, failed in capturing this Egyptian. And so he, you kind of piece it together. You start thinking, okay, he thinks, man, I, I, I've hit the jackpot. And so when Paul starts speaking Greek, all of a sudden he starts thinking, wait, what, what is going on here? And so he says, are you not the Egyptian? Verse 38 then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness. And Paul replied, I am a Jew. Now what's interesting is Paul never shies away from being a Jew. He's never ashamed of it, which is interesting. All right. And, and any time that he could, he, he could, he could just say, well, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, over and over again, Paul is not going to be ashamed of being a Jew. And we see here he's a Jew and he shares his city. He's from Tarsus in Cilicia. And that's critical and important because when you look at the history of Tarsus, 
and the Roman government, Tarsus had a special place with Caesar Augustus and with some of the other rulers to the place where Tarsus didn't have to pay income tax because they had the favor of the Roman government. And so here was Paul uh, in, his, in his words saying, I, I am a Jew, but I am from a place that your government respects well. And so, um, so he, he lets them know who he is, a citizen of no obscure city. Now, Paul will not say here that he is a citizen of uh, a Roman citizen yet, which I think bodes to who his audience is. His audience around him, again, the, the, the Jews are still there, those who are accusing him of, of defiling the temple, of, of preaching and teaching uh, some obscure gospel. Um, he's not going to let on to them and give them any reason uh, to think that what they have said is true. So there's no point in sharing at that point that he's a Roman citizen. He's a Jew. That's why he starts and begins with that. Um, and then he, he replies um, that who he is, and he says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. He wants to speak to the people that are there, the accusers. And so when he had given him permission, when Claudius had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, remember what had just happened, all right? I don't think this is an accident that this is, this, these words are here. Paul wasn't sitting he wasn't, he wasn't reliant upon other people. Paul actually could stand. By the grace of God and the energy and the strength of God, Paul was standing to give an account. And he's going to share about who he is and the life that God had called him to. So Paul is standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when they, there was a great hush, he began to address them in a Hebrew language. Now, we don't know if this was Hebrew or if this was Aramaic. Um, there's arguments for both. Um, the, the fact is, is that Paul, as he begins to speak, uh, Claudius and all of his men aren't going to know what Paul is saying. Which is interesting because of what's going to, what's going to happen later on in our text. So as Paul is speaking and sharing, he's speaking and addressing to the Jews. He is addressing exactly what they have said and their accusations. And he wants to give them an account for what has happened in his life and why he has done what he has done. He doesn't feel it important to be able to speak in Greek so that the, the Roman rulers would be able to hear and understand. No, he's going to speak in Hebrew, and that's purposeful. And so he addresses them, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. It says, and when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So they began, again, who were these Jews? Most of them were out of town. They were dysphoria of the Jews. They had been spread out. They were from Asia who had traveled in. And so did they fully know who this man Paul was? No, they didn't. And that's why Paul is going to walk through this. And he begins in verse 3. He says, I am a Jew like you. <laughs> he said, I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, I was brought up in that city. I was educated, but brought up in this city, he says. So even though he was born there, he says, listen, I grew up here in Jerusalem, which is critical for a Jew, all right, especially at that time. Next, he will say, I'm educated at the feet of Gamaliel, which is an important fact 
and probably is the reason why Paul, as he travels from synagogue to synagogue, why he's able to go in and to share the way that he shares. Because he has had this, this stature and, and underneath this teaching of a very, very well-known rabbi, leading Paul to be a rabbi. And so Paul, underneath the feet of this great rabbi, under the strict manner of the law of the fathers, Paul's giving an argument. Again, who is he addressing? He's saying, I'm a Jew, and I've learned what the law says. I've been under it. I know it. And he says, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. He says, I persecuted this way. Again, critical and important as you walk through the book of Acts, the followers of Jesus are labeled as those who follow the way. As they go, he said, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He didn't care if it was a man or a woman. And as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness, he says, listen, there's men over here that could tell you exactly who I was and what I did. They can give you testimony of how from them I received letters to the brothers and how I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul says, listen, your leaders gave me letters that as I traveled to Damascus, I was going to get those people who were part of the way and I was going to bring them back to Jerusalem and we were going to, we were going to get them right. We were going to persecute them. We were going to whip them and beat them and get them to the right kind of thinking. Verse six, as I was on my way, and drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Paul is recounting what a story that we've already seen a couple times. In chapter 9 of Acts, we see Paul sharing this encounter, all right, for the first time. There are just a couple differences in this account. One of them, or two of them are here. One is it, it's about noon. We didn't know that from chapter 9. We see it here in chapter 22. It's about noon, so it's daytime, all right? And there's a very great light. It says, uh, at noon, a great light from heaven. So what does this tell us? This tells us that it wasn't during Paul sleeping. He didn't just have a dream, all right? This was a real encounter during the middle of the day that this great light appeared. And so it says, he says, I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? He asked that question. And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Another difference that we see here in this text is the word Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. It's not recounted in, 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 in the earlier account in chapter 9. Why is that? Because there's an importance of the cities. There's an importance of who this man is, that this isn't just some other Jesus, but this is the Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And so Paul makes it very clear, this man, Jesus, who was crucified, he was speaking to me. Now think for a moment, if you're in the crowd and you're hearing a man speak about somebody who was crucified, who had been witnessed to have died upon the cross 
was buried into a tomb, and then there had been numerous rumors that he was raised from the dead and that he appeared to different people. Now here is a man who says, I had a real encounter with Jesus. And the real encounter is because of what happens next. He speaks. He's speaking to Saul. Verse 9, now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking with me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go unto Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. So Paul says there's others with him. They have no account of what's going on. Chapter 9 tells us that they didn't hear anything. This says that they heard something, but they didn't understand the, the wording uh, doesn't fight against each other here in the text, okay? The one isn't uh, contrary to the other. You can hear something and not hear something, right? You hear something, but you have no idea what it is, so you just ignore it and you move on, all right? Here Paul is saying, listen, the other men, these men around me heard it, but they had no clue what was going on. They didn't understand. And so uh, as they go on, they saw the light, all right, but they didn't hear, they didn't understand what was going on. Um, since Paul could no longer see, verse 11, uh, they, they, these other men led him by the hand to Damascus. And so when he got there, there was this devout man. And again, I don't think this, I don't, I don't think the wording is by chance here. I think the wording is very descriptive because of who Paul is talking to. He's giving an account. He's giving a defense for him being a Jew, being a follower of Jesus. And he says, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. What is that? That's a strict Jew. <laughs> all right. He was well spoken of all, by all the Jews who lived there. So not only was he devout, he was seen as someone who was devout. He came to me and standing by me, verse 13, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. To see the righteous one. Who's the righteous one? Jesus. So what we see here is not only did Paul hear Jesus, but he saw Jesus. The living Jesus. And to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Again, this text isn't telling us that baptism saves us. It's a very real outward expression. And especially at that time in the customs of the, of the Jews, part of purification was immersion. And so here was this outward expression of saying, you rise, believe, be saved, and let your sins be forgiven. Verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, this is about three months later, we know because of what we've read earlier in Acts, Paul goes to back to Jerusalem. When he's back in Jerusalem, after his encounter with living Jesus, and after he learns and studies more, as he sees about who this Jesus, the Messiah, truly is, it says that he, has, he was praying in the temple and he fell into a trance. 
And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Jesus, again, speaks to Paul and says, you need to get out of here. Well, Paul's reply isn't, okay, I'll do that. Let's, I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. No, Paul's reply is unique because he kind of tries to defend why he should stay in Jerusalem. And this was his, this was his defense to Jesus. He says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So as Paul is giving a defense to the Jews that, are, that were beating him, trying to kill him, he's defending and saying, listen, I wanted to stay here, but Jesus told me to leave. And I defended me staying because I knew so many others because I was a part of that. And Jesus' response, verse 21, says, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That was God's calling to Paul, was to the Gentiles. Even though he was a devout Jew, even though he was a wonderful rabbi who studied underneath Galileo. It's not Galileo, but Paul gives all these reasons of why they need to be listening. And once they hear this, that Jesus spoke to Paul and that he was going to go to who? To the Gentiles? The Gentiles didn't deserve this. They weren't good enough. They were slugs. They were deprived people who were anti-God. And they didn't deserve his grace and his love and his mercy. This is the turning point. Luke records for us, upon up to this word they listened, but it was at this point when now the Gentiles were going to be included in God's salvation plan? Mm -mm. They couldn't take that anymore. They couldn't take that anymore. So that's why they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Again, their purpose wasn't just to beat him up, set him straight. Their purpose was to kill him. They wanted him gone. Verse 23, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Remember, Claudius is here with his men, uh, right? His soldiers, and they hear stuff being said, but it's really quiet until at a certain point, the people get angry and upset and they don't know what's going on. So Claudius thinks, okay, we're taking this guy in no more because it's utter chaos, all right? Utter chaos that's going on. And so they bring him in and they're like, okay, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going we're gonna to just beat Paul until he tells us what's really going, what's, what's really happening and why they're so angry and mad. So they go to do that. 
and uh, examine him by flogging. It says, verse 25, when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and he said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So Paul makes this statement. He says, what, why, are you, why are you going to beat me? In a sense, he's saying, why don't you just ask me? And I'll tell you what's going on. But it, he, he shortens it in, in, in a sense where he, as a Roman citizen, and under the law at that time, um, they, they were not to be beaten to get information on. That was part of the law. as part of the rules that, that the Romans had laid down, that they would not beat their own, flog their own to get information. But yet here Paul was as a citizen of Rome, and he was going to be flogged and beaten. They didn't know this, all right? So this word gets to Claudius, and as he hears about this, uh, he comes to him, verse 27, and he says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he says, yes. Paul could have offered a whole lot more, but he doesn't. This is one of the points at the end that I'm going to share with you in just a little bit. But notice, Paul doesn't respond with a great elaborate answer. He just says, yes. And with that, then Claudius responds and says, hey, I bought this citizenship with a large sum. For Claudius to have worked his way to where he was as the ruler, the, the, the overseer of Jerusalem, he had to be of a, a Roman. That's the only way that he could have gotten to that point. And so he had to do that in order to work his way up. He had to have paid to get to that. That's what he tells us. Uh, I am here standing before you as a Roman citizen, because I paid a large amount of money. Did you do the same? Because what that would have given him, it would have given him an out. It would have given Claudius an out to say, okay, maybe your money hasn't passed through yet, and I need to know. But the fact is, Paul responds with this. He says, no, I'm a citizen from birth, which means that really Paul exceeds Claudius as a Roman, even though he has more authority as, as the tribune, Paul outranks him as a citizen because his citizenship was bought. The reprimands could have gone far. All right. Claudius now realizes I can get in deep, deep trouble. And so verse 29 says, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. As we look at this text, there's a couple things um, that I, I, I take away and I want to share with you. I think more than just what we, what we've covered. Um, there's a question in chapter 22, verse 10, that, that where we see what Paul asks of Jesus. And it's really the defense of why Paul is who he is and what he is doing. And so he asks this, what am I to do? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've probably asked him, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want of my life? 
and I think it's critical and important as we think back to that. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior yet. Let me encourage you to trust in him. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and he rose again three days later. Conquering sin and death. And he offers to us who believe in him eternal life. He asks for our life. And he will give us eternal life. For those of us who have claimed Jesus as our Savior, we can go back and hopefully at some point we've asked a similar question. What am I to do? This was a sharp encounter with Paul because he was headed to Damascus going to, to, to capture and to go beat up those who God was working in and God called them to follow him. It was part of the way that God was working. For us, we were headed down a road, eternal, eternally separated from God forever. And yet God called us to himself. He drew us by his spirit to know him, to understand what Jesus had done for us and the sacrifice given. And so we sit here and this morning I ask you, what has God called you to do? Well, for Paul, God revealed one step at a time. And I believe that's pretty true for each of us. God doesn't reveal the whole thing. He reveals one step at a time. And in our text, that verse 10, it says, he says, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do, or all that is, all that is ordained by God, all that God will order you to do. Let me ask you this. Do you like taking orders? I don't like anybody telling me what to do unless it's to eat. Then I'm good. Paul had given his life to Jesus. And God said, you can trust me. Whatever I tell you to do, you go and do it. Paul listens and obeys and responds. We also see in the text that Paul doesn't fight for his rights. Again, chapter 21, verse 13 says that Paul is willing to be beaten and even to die for the cause that God has called him to. Paul does defend his witness. He defends not all of his actions, he defends God's calling on his life. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can get easily wrapped up in defending so many other things that we lose sight of the one thing that we should defend. God's calling on our life. Paul defended his witness. And that witness was what God, what Jesus had called the disciples to do in the very beginning of this letter that Dr. Luke was writing for us. And I want to read it. It's there up on the, it'll be up on the screen for you in Acts 1. When the disciples saw Jesus and they asked him, they came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel, the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Don't worry about the time and the season of when the kingdom's coming. It's going to come. What I want you to do is be my witnesses. And that's exactly what we see what Paul has been doing as he's going from city to city, proclaiming the way, proclaiming who Jesus is. Paul defends his witness. Paul was committed to the calling that God had given him. Paul didn't get distracted. We can easily get distracted, can't we? A lot of good things. A lot of nice things. Paul was committed to the calling that God had given him. And so in closing, what are you here to do? What are you living your life here on earth to do? I believe it's the same call that Jesus gave the disciples that is true for us. That we have the wonderful privilege of being witnesses to witness to the people of the world. Did I see Jesus? No. I've seen him work though. I've seen him work in my life and in the lives of others. What are you here to do? What are you going to defend? How quick are you to defend your rights and your privileges versus the rights of Jesus? The gospel of Jesus is, willing, is, is something that we should be willing to defend and something that we need to commit to over and over and over again. Why? Because we're people who forget. We people who make mistakes. We are people who fall short. Paul tells us he wasn't perfect. The Apostle Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and sometimes I don't do what I wish to do. Paul is not a man of perfection, but we can learn from him in his willingness to be obedient to the call that God had given him. And so what call has God placed on your life? And are you being obedient to that? I don't see a whole lot of angry mobs coming to get any of you. At least not yet. One day, maybe, we count it a privilege and an honor. If for the cause of Christ. For you, are you being obedient to what God has called you to do? Our life is short. There's only one. Vince is going to play in just a moment. I saw the light. Paul saw the light. It changed his life. If you know Jesus Christ is your savior, continue to pursue that ongoing relationship with him. He loves you. He wants you to know more of him. And he will continue to show you step by step by step all that he desires for you. He asks us to be willing and obedient. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your patience and your love with us. Lord, you are so good. 
You have provided us not only salvation, you've provided us your spirit that lives in and dwells in us to guide us and direct us. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Paul here as he gives an account of who he was and why he lived his life in the manner and the way that he did. I wonder how, how would we answer to a crowd, to a mob? What answer would we give to them on how we have lived our lives and why we have done what we do? Lord, help us to go back to see the beauty and the simplicity of that moment when we gave our life to Jesus. Help us not to make light or make lesser the call that you have for each one of your children. You, divide, you desire for us to be your ambassadors to a world that needs to know about Jesus, that needs to see Jesus. May they see Jesus in us. And may we stay committed to your word, to that ongoing relationship, allowing you to guide us and to direct us in every conversation, in every relationship, in everything that we do. Lord, we constantly need your help. Because left to ourselves, we stumble and we fall. And yet your word tells us that your mercy is new every morning. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so, Lord, we come as grateful people. Thankful that you have chosen us and asking for your help. That we may continue to display to display your glory in some small way. Help us to be obedient to you, to your calling in our life, and to defend what is of most importance, our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.